So do you really think that if a rich person discovered a way to transfer their soul, they'd be able to keep it a secret and not monetize it? I think there would probably be an underground market for it. Um, but it, I think that the people who discovered this kind of thing are probably already in a sort of secret, like uh, they're already in a culture that would make building your own secret society pretty easy or at least easier for them than it would be for me. And so I think, yeah, they probably would be very selective, but there would be a market out there for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there any celebrities that you think might be possessed by somebody? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think I would Nicolas think... Cage might be. That's true. Uh, yeah, I think someone like Shia LaBeouf, maybe he's loaned his body out a few times, <laughs> done some crazy things, crazy different things. Yeah. Ooh, Joaquin Phoenix. He had a whole period where, you know, maybe this was all possession all along. Yeah. Yeah, he's done some, he's gone through some phases. Some demonic phases. Are they tired or being exercised? I don't know. I I mean, a lot of celebrities apparently go to clinics for exhaustion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, being possessed, very exhausting. I would imagine it takes a toll on the body. (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) let us get started. is necromancer necromancer i'm shira and i'm a fan of rom-coms i'm brett and i'm a fan of horror movies if this is your first time stumbling in on necromancer then you should know that what we like to do here is brett picks a horror movie i pick a rom-com and then we remix those movies and turn the horror into a rom-com and the rom-com into a horror last week we did fallen for our continuing theme of possession, and we turned it into some very cute and cuddly rom-coms with some kissing and some angels. Some angel and angst. some heaven. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And now we're moving on to the romantic comedy All of Me, which we're going to turn into a stabby-stabby horror I I had a lot harder of a time doing that. I really, I really phoned it in. Uh, and I didn't it, this one? This one came easy. Oh, you had an Amadeus for this one? Yeah. Nice. Oh yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, the horror the horror was easy for you for this rom com. Um, but yeah, we're we're continuing our theme of possession. This time on the romantic and the comedy side, it's another Carl Reiner movie. Uh, This time, one of his older movies. Uh, I've glanced at the cover of All of Me 
multiple times and thought I should check that out because I like Lily Tomlin. Yeah. I like Steve Martin. I yep. love Carl Reiner. Yeah. Seems like the thing to do. Uh, and among the possession movies, this one just seemed like the one that might be the most fun. Yeah. I, I do think that once, once the premise gets rolling there's kind of like a definitive gunshot in this movie where they're like ready go and once the premise does get rolling it does become a completely fun hijinksy movie <laughs> like yeah it, this movie is a very carefully constructed like uh, um what do you call this stuff like the mousetrap stuff where one thing hits into another thing and then yeah. A Rube Goldberg machine. Yes, it's just like that. It's just everything starts piling on top. It's just every ball has momentum and every plate is spinning and it it becomes a really fun ride. It kind of snuck up on me. It grew on me. I I wasn't yeah. sure how I felt about the movie at first and and I kind of I wanted I wanted more. I just wanted a little bit more, especially because I know how great Lily Tomlin is and, and everything she can give. Um, But a lot of it is filtered through the possession. uh, So you don't get as much of Lily Tomlin, I think as I would have wanted, but the movie is very clever. uh, And I also, the thing that I really enjoyed about this movie that I wish more romantic comedies did was just let the heroine be a little unlikable. Yeah. Just, no, yeah, just let right. her be unlikable because there are plenty of romantic comedies where the, if it's a, you know, a straight rom-com, I don't want to alienate, you know, gay rom-coms that are out there, but in a straight rom-com, it's, typically the male who's permitted to be grumpy or to not get along with society or things like that. Uh, and very rarely is that the female in a straight rom-com allowed to just be unlikable uh, and to be inexperienced and to say, you know, yeah, I don't know about any of this stuff. I was wondering how they were going to stick the landing of this movie, but I think it becomes very clear once the movie gets into its mega hijinks wrap up that like, no, we're in good hands. Like everyone's going to get a satisfying PG ending <laughs> to their right. story. Um, yeah, I, I agree. This movie did grow on me the more the the more lily tomlin and steve martin got to interact the more i liked their their hijinks together yeah they're kind of you know it seems like carl reiner has he has a knack for putting the right comedic actor and actress together like dennis farina and bett midler could volley with each other very well and then steve martin and lily tomlin volley really easily as well yeah, I agree. Um, I think you you kind of already mentioned it, but they sort of nerf Lily Tomlin's role in the movie a bit by having her only in the mirror scenes. But I think that her as a more 
straight i don't know if she is known for any type of physical comedy but i don't know her for physical comedy she seems to be more of the straight laced witty good timing it's cracks wise cracks right so the idea that we still get her great comedic timing in this overly exaggerated steve martin body i think is a very great use of both of their their strengths um yeah it's not just that she like even though she's not in the movie for a bunch her presence is still a very strong presence right and it's and it works better this way than if it were reversed where it's steve martin's the crotchety invalid that possesses lily tomlin because steve martin is so good at the physical side of the comedy like uh the the right body versus the left side of the body is just a really great physical scene, you know, reminiscent of, uh, you know, in The Jerk when they're trying to shoot him and yeah. he says, they really ate these cans. These cans, more cans. <laughs> I also, I think. Uh, yeah, so he's movie, just, he's great at that kind of physical stuff. This movie definitely reminded me of um, me, myself and Irene for very oh, obvious Oh, I reasons. forgot <laughs> about that one. Oh, that movie. I do enjoy that movie, but it's also a movie that gets a lot out of pain and awkwardness. I, I do like it, though. I, you I could do. save it for a split personality episode. Yeah, and there's a lot of, lot of great ones on both sides for that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so should we get into the, the movie? Yeah, I cannot wait. Uh, so we start off with Roger Cobb, who is a dissatisfied 38-year-old attorney, and he's dating his boss's daughter, and he's also an aspiring jazz Just guitarist. like Tyrone Power in Luck of the Irish. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I also thought of Soul, this idea of like doing what you love versus doing what you should be doing just to mm. have a money. Um But uh, yeah, so he's kind of, he's pushing himself to be partner. He's, he's now willing to give up his, his silly jazz career and go all in on being a lawyer. And so he, he demands that he be partner. Uh, He tries to, to sort of more or less like bluff his way into it. He's not sure what's going to happen, but luckily his boss really is enthusiastic about it because he needs <laughs> he needs a, a scummy underling who's willing to have no morals to complete his his um divorce for him. Brett, when are you going to start getting serious and give up that bebop stuff? Yeah, I did like that bebop stuff. It reminded me of uh Sea Lab 2021 when Captain Murphy gets stuck under the the bebop cola machine kind of like oh a 127 God. hours but it's a vending machine that episode uh, scared me it gets creepy it does and it gets very sad um but yeah so he's sort of thrust into this uh uh like will and last testament negotiation of this difficult eccentric millionaire nest named edwina cutwater and she's basically been bedridden since childhood. She's basically been a a bubble kid 
where she's not been out allowed out of her house. Uh, no one has really been allowed in her house or, or no one wants to be in the house with her. She's like that like little it. boy from the secret garden. If he never went outside. Yeah. And so uh, Edwina and, and Roger kind of butt heads as they, as they, as Edwina reveals to Roger what her grand plan is. And her grand plan is to take this mystic shaman named Praka, uh, who has mastered the secret of transferring human souls, and they're going to take her soul and put it into Terry Hoskins' body. And you might be thinking, well, what's going to happen to Terry Hoskins? Well, she's going to transcend our world, sort of achieve nirvana in a very loophole way, and basically move on to the other world but it's not like a, a heaven and hell other world. It's like a hippie energy. She becomes one with the universe. Otherwise. She seems like she's down with it. Right. Hint, hint. Uh, so Roger finds this whole thing completely ridiculous. Oh, I did like her whole feel my heart thing. And she put oh, his hand on funny. her boob. And I like how he says thank you afterwards. <laughs> He's like very polite about it. He's like, oh, thank you. Um, and so, yeah. Um, uh, he calls this whole procedure bananas, which makes Edwina super offended. So Edwina goes to his boss and demands that Roger be fired. And Roger, of course, wants her money, or the boss wants her money. So the boss is going to do whatever she wants. They go out into the private office away from her. And then he goes, actually, she's freaking nuts. You're not going to get fired. You're the perfect guy to take on my divorce because you have, you know, you, you you're guts. hungry. You're a go-getter. I, like, what does he say? He's like, I know your father raped the land and, yeah. and did this and that. And that, my father would have wanted to do the same, but because he was a barber, he didn't get the chance. Yeah, he never had the opportunity. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Steve Martin is very funny in this movie. He's got a very yeah. good, like, he's a very good character who plays low status, but as a sarcastic sort of almost like I'm better than you schlub, but he, he knows he's not better well, he's, than you. He's Duke silver. He's moonlighting <laughs> yeah. as a jazz guitarist. And the truth is that he doesn't need to be a white collar guy. He could just be noodling it on his jazz guitar. Yeah. And so this is where the movie enters full hijinks. Here is the gunshot to start off the premise of the movie. Uh, Edwina dies in the law office. So her soul is transferred into the bowl. Uh, so her soul is transferred into the bowl. And now Terry has to put her hands on the bowl to complete the full transformation, uh, transference. At However, this movie has a logic to the possession. Yes. Unlike fallen, which makes no sense. <laughs> uh, this movie has a much better rule set. Uh, and so, uh, because of hijinks, the bull falls out the window, hits Steve Martin on the head, and then it turns out that Edwina is in his right half and and Roger is in his left half. So now we have two competing personas that are, are sort of having to work together body-wise, but also competing mentally. Uh, and it just, I don't know how else to describe it other than it is pure comedy 
Right. Especially when he wants to leave the law office. She wants to go back to talk to Praka. And then you have him on the street. Left side of the body is him. Right side of the body is as Edwina. And him, Steve Martin, switching the voices. He does a great job. And the commitment to Edwina's walk is... It's, it's it's admirable it's de- it's it's a pro it's it's mastercraft the the way steve martin just walks in this he movie never forgets so much every scene he is on top of it i think that's what carl reiner probably helped bring to this kind of movie is just allowing steve martin to get into the mindset of this possessed person for mm-hmm. every single take it is and he doesn't oversell it like this isn't this isn't a jim carrey movie he's not he's not throwing himself across the room he's doing just enough he's got these set pieces where like lily tomlin has to be the manly man lawyer and and bs her way through the stuff like he's got these performances where he's allowed to dial up the notches but yeah like they do a great job in this movie of adjusting the notches to fit the energy level of the scene, but then always remaining in character. It's just, I mean, this is a comedy. This is a comedian's comedy. And the mirror device really works. Like the very first thing they have to do are the things that you would ask about if you were given this premise. So, okay, so they're possessed. They control one side of the body and then the 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 spirit controls the other. Okay, well, what about peeing? And then right. that's the first thing that they have to do is go pee. Uh, and he has to look at her in the mirror while he's doing it. I I liked her line delivery of, how dare you say penis to a dead person? <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I thought tap, her... Tap. <laughs> yeah, I thought her performance in the mirror was great because it was this kind of like awkwardness of like it's not just me in a male body it's me in your body my Um, enemy right but it's all she she takes a very mature approach to it while also being funny and acknowledging like acknowledging her character doesn't acknowledge the humor of the situation but lily tomlin portrays the humor to us the audience and so yeah it's it's really fun. Yeah. Um, so if there's any specific hijinks that you want to call out. Uh, well, it's just, I, I, it's really just clever lines that I identified. So of course we have him go back and he's possessed and, and everything's awkward. And then you get this scene between him and his girlfriend where she says, Oh, you're representing the other side in my mother's divorce. And he's like, yeah. you mean your dad? Uh, and then when she thinks that he's, uh, cheating or, or something, she has this line where she says, it's either me or your balls. Yeah. You can't have both. That and then funny. of course, the next thing he says, I'm very attached to them. Yeah. But he gives a great beat, you know, like in screenplays, when you write beat, like he just gives a great beat where he has to think about it. And then he's, I, I, I'm just attached to my balls. <laughs> it's great um 
Right. And then it, we get the scenes where, you know, we find out that nobody came to her memorial service. Yeah. Uh, and then to do a favor to Ty, the blind sax player, he gets him to play at the funeral with his band. Uh, and we get this whole weird plot line with um, Terry wanting to fuck Roger. Yeah, uh, it's a very I, it's a very gone girl lady establishing her sexual dominance kind of because the only motivation I can think for it is she knows that she's a con man at this point. So she has no plans on going back or, or letting uh, even though there is a possibility of Edwina taking over her body, she has no plan. She's in it for the money. She, this was all a con the whole time. Right. So right. she just wants to fuck over the person that she conned. Including <laughs> like, fucking the body that right. she's in. It's a great, uh, and, but then like the sexual stuff, like the tingle, the way they use tingle and the way they use boffing. Well, is, there is were two PG and funny. There were two sex scenes with Terry, uh, and in the first one, Edwina. So we learn one of the rules of the possession is when one of them is asleep, the other has full control over the body. So it starts with this moment where. Uh, Steve Martin thinks he's going to get it with Terry. And I don't know what she says to him, but I liked his whole delivery of, so this would be like for a good cause. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's so stupid, but it works. It does uh, work. It does. It, it really, it really does. And then you get the scene later where they're in the courtroom and Roger is so tired, he falls asleep. And so Edwina has to interrogate Roger's boss on the stand. And I like that we get a lot of little shorthand about Roger's boss and his addiction to having sex with widows. Yeah. Uh, and it's so gross when he's like, I'm providing a service to the community. Yeah, he's he is a very likable scumbag though yeah he is he's he's a pretty harmless scumbag yeah he spends he he spends just enough screen time to be harmless you're right um Uh, and then the second sex scene with terry where we get the tingles uh i i like that uh the first thing edwina asks is will she still respect us in the morning and he says she doesn't respect us now (laughs) right (laughs) um very it's it's very funny and I, I I just again like you said I I liked it the more the movie went on um mm-hmm. but then yeah so we as Terry's trying to boff with with Roger we also get this this uh sort of subplot of her trying to get rid of Praka of mm-hmm. her get, trying to get him to the airport so that the the transference can't take place however uh Praka shows back up and so then now they have Terry reveals that she's a villain, that she's a con artist. They try to force Terry to touch the bowl, but then it's flung into a bottle of water. And then we get this very Zen Buddhist idea that Edwina's consciousness could be transferred into water. Um, Roger tries to give it to the the blind sax. Is it sax he plays? He, he gives it to the blind jazz yeah, player. Yeah. And, uh, 
So it's very, and I like how they they use that as a guise to sneak in. Very, very cool. I always love a good sneak in moment where you have I, to pretend to belong. But so you're missing the the. So we get this great sort of you know I guess mousetrap Rube Goldberg effect where it's all right. We're at the party. Terry has all of Edwina's money and she's celebrating her villainous victory. Yes. <laughs> uh, we're going to get the soul back into Terry, but oops, it falls in the bucket of water. So then Steve Martin tries to throw people off the scent. He pours the water into a pitcher, gives the pitcher to Ty. Uh, right. And then we see, oh no, Terry's got the pitcher. She dumps it in the flower bed. What are we to do? And because of the mirror device, we get a lot of great cinematic shorthand with Steve Martin missing Edwina, missing Lily Tomlin every time he sees his reflection. So every time he looks at himself, he's really thinking about her. And it's so like, it's so earned and it's a great, I, it hate, is, yeah. I hate when people get all like, philosophical about show don't tell but this is a perfect example of showing instead of telling and then the twist we learned that oops ty thought that the water was gin so now edwina is in ty's body i thought that that whole sequence was played out perfectly perfectly um yeah there's a lot of like i said earlier there's a lot of spinning plates and carl reiner brings this very professional balance of when do we need to cut to each plate? When does the storyline matter? What the converging storylines, like you said, of having the mirror device, uh, having Tyrone, the actor who plays him, Jason Bernard, having him then take on uh, Edwina's personalities. Oh, and, he was great. And he, he so much accepts it. It's funny when he gives the dog over to uh, to Tyrone and when he gives the dog and he's like, hey, uh, I have this lady inside of me who's possessed. And he's like, oh, why didn't you say so? You know, what? Yeah, he believes like, him right away and he yeah. just takes the dog. No fuss. Um, and so, yeah. So then we get all of this crazy stuff. And then, of course, it's very Mission Impossible. uh uh where like every team member has something to do praka has to bang the bowl back into shape which again makes sense because like the harmonics of it this movie's mm -hmm. logic fits so much more than, than if falls. the bowl is broken then the soul can't be transferred so we right. fix the bowl we fix the soul uh i like that and so they do manage to kind of get everyone in a huddle and and go over this this um uh, they all strike a deal with each other where uh, Edwina wants Terry's body. Terry is about to go to jail. So she doesn't want to spend the rest of her life in jail. Cause this is her third offense. Uh, so they transfer. Oh, and also gets the plate of the boss too, because Terry's third strike is she goes into another room to shoot them but oh, oops, right. the boss is having another affair <laughs> in that room and is going it. to charge her with attempted homicide. Right. So she's put in this situation where it's jail or transcendence. And so she is allowed to put her body into the body of a horse. And Very the lobster. Terry. Yeah. 
Um, and so then it's, again, everyone kind of gets this happy ending. It's very satisfying for everyone. Um, it's all, all, all the bad guys are sort of punished. All the good guys are rewarded. They all get what they want in the end. Um, and yeah, and then it's basically. And Terry and Roger. I mean, not Terry and Roger. And Roger and Edwina are together. And, and they the get end to of the dance. movie. The end of the movie is them dancing, which she never got to do. So it's very sweet. It's a good. And it's, yeah, 90 minutes. <laughs> In and out. And they're and going to with. do it. She basically says, oh, yeah. she basically says, when I'm in Terry, we're going to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like her little eyebrow thing where she's mm-hmm. basically saying, hey, if you can pull this off, hubba hubba. She's like, we're, if you can pull this off, we're going to boff. <laughs> exactly. And I thought it was really, I thought it was really cute. Yes. And I liked when she said to him, I love when you talk like a beer commercial. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> um, yeah, there were just so many great moments. I do think the beginning of the movie starts off a little bit slow. It feels slow, mm-hmm. but that's kind of like older movies just feel slower. And it's like, yeah, but if you take yeah. the time to set up the premise and then use that premise to the fullest it pays off um yeah it's slower but great payoffs that's what you're getting from old movies this movie takes 30 minutes for the transference to happen from edwina into uh roger which is again like i said the gun start it's it's over an hour before the gun even makes an attempt to be shot and fallen so yeah i like it So we got to ask the question, who would you murder from this movie? Uh, I mean, I want to try to pick someone off the beaten path, but it's, I mean, I think it's got to be Terry. There's nobody worth killing in this movie because we got to keep Terry alive so Athena can use her body. And then I don't want to kill the boss because he's so funny. What about that guy with the bald head and the mustache? Is he killable? I he's, guess he's so. kind of like I mean, a henchman. Suspicious. Yeah, I'm just gonna kill him. Sorry, guy. It's it's like yeah, it's I'm like gonna Denzel. kill him too. The, the like, guy from the bathroom. It's like Denzel shooting uh, the teacher in Fallen. It's like every once in a while you might get a casualty here and there. <laughs> Sorry, That's guys. not the attitude for our police to take. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny if that's what they said at press conferences? That would be... that. That's a type of humor, I guess. And every once in a while, one <laughs> or two or three or four get away from us. Yeah. Yeah, no, I guess I, I'm going to kill that guy, too. I can't think of anybody yeah. else I'd kill. So I guarantee you... Yours is going to be better. So I think we should save the best for last. Okay. Uh, and then I will, I'll hit you with mine because it's, it's pretty quick. This is more an impression uh, than an actual movie. And again, I was very lazy. I decided to call it none of you, all of me, none of you. I like it. <laughs> um. So I want uh, again. I'm gonna just rip from the the <laughs> rip from the frames of Michael Clayton and say yeah. I want this to begin 
with, uh, you know, something moody. Instead of an underground poker game, though, let's say it's a smoky jazz bar. And maybe Roger's playing not all of me. This time he's playing a really somber jazz standard, like in a sentimental mood. Jazz fans know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then while the music is going on in the background, we hear the voicemail on Roger's phone and like Michael Clayton, it's one of the partners at the firm. Maybe it's Skylar. And he's, he's rambling this out of context, out of context monologue. And we come to understand from the monologue that the Cutwater corporation (laughs) is doing something wrong. What they're doing isn't just malfeasance or harmful, uh, you know, pesticides. Leagues. Uh, what they're doing is going to upset the order of life. It's against nature. It's against God. Only Roger can stop them. Roger, of course, being Michael Clayton-like or Steve Martin meets Michael Clayton. He just dismisses all of this. He's an estate lawyer. He's he's half with his foot out the door anyway. Uh, and he doesn't put two and two together until he goes to the Cutwater Mansion and learns that Edwina wants to transfer her fortune to a young woman, Terry Hoskins. Why? Well, the Cutwater Corporation has discovered how to transfer souls into willing hosts, uh, and Edwina will be the pioneer to try it, Uh, And then she plans to extend that ability to other wealthy investors to prevent death at the right price. So, of course, Roger's horrified. He has to stop this. But he plays it cool during the actual proceedings and he updates the will. And then he leaves her to go find Skylar, Um, except Skylar's dead. So (laughs) it's already starting. The the cover up is already starting. Uh, and then Roger discovers that Skylar's soul has been transferred to a dog. And so he takes in the dog, hoping to learn clues. I thought it would be fun. I know it's not a horror movie thing to give somebody <laughs> an animal sidekick with a human soul, but I just thought it would be cute. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, it's my movie. I'm writing it in. Uh, so, yeah, we got we got a uh, Roger and dog. Uh, and they're trying and can to. Can figure... the dog talk or no? Um, he can't talk, but he can, he can provide clues in other right. ways. Right. Um, like maybe he like uses his snout to flip open a page or something. You yeah. Know? Blues or... clues. <laughs> yeah, he just he does cute dog things. Uh, and then the middle act happens. Um, and you know, I'm not gonna say I know what happens here. Let's just say that Cutwater Corp sends people and things to kill them. Obviously, before Edwina signed up for this, there were beta tests. So maybe we'll get some soul transfer experiments that didn't go well, like people who were transferred into cars. Like they find out the car that they're in is somebody's soul, and it's like a convict soul, because who else would they beta test on than death row inmates? Uh, or, Or, you know, maybe it's a like a a wild big cat, like a tiger with a convict soul. (laughs) Um, So they're just, you know, they're dealing with all, you know, attacks on all sides. And then finally Roger decides to kidnap Terry 
to prevent Edwina from transferring her soul into her yep. chosen victim. Uh, but then Terry double crosses Roger and leads him directly to Edwina. Roger learns that Terry agreed to do it in exchange for having Roger take her place as Edwina's vessel. Roger dies. Edwina becomes Roger. She goes back to Roger's place, skims through his records, finds one she likes. It's whatever Lola wants. <laughs> it starts to play. And then she looks in the mirror, sees herself and, you know, does a little Lily Tomlin victory smile. Um, but yeah, that's it. None of you. All right. So it's a sad ending. I guess it's a the sad ending. Wins, yeah, right? the villain won. I didn't really know how to end it after he kidnapped Terry. Right. Um, so I thought, why not Why not give it the bummer ending? Yeah, I can see that. Um, I don't have a name for mine. Sometimes if I, if I do a good name, or if I, if I feel like I'm writing a good movie... I, I would just spend way too much time on a name. I think titles are very important. Um, but yeah, mine's going to be kind of like a more gritty, slow burn type movie. Um, okay, I like I like gritty, slow burn. It's going to be very dark, very, um, I guess, kind of like... visually? Both. It's going to be kind of like Zodiac, I guess. Or not Zodiac, um, Seven. I do love the Zodiac movie. Yeah, Zodiac is a great movie. <laughs> it has a great soundtrack, too. Um, and so we we open with uh, Cobb, and he takes on a job, but it's it's very much like um, he's he's got a liaison, right? And so the liaison calls him up and says, you got to come to the to the morgue or whatever. You got to come to the, the death place. And you've got to find out what happened to this lady. She was killed or this Uh-oh. guy. You got to find out how she was killed. And so the way he finds out is he puts his hands on them and he takes their soul into his. And then their soul slowly starts to possess him. And so there's a lot of rules that are involved with this. And I'll get into some of them. But so the gradual possession also equals how they died. And so if, for instance, maybe... So, like, their wounds appear on his body stigmata style? Right. So maybe his 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 hands stop working and, like, his fingers stop working. And that's because the, the victim tried to claw out of something and broke their fingers. Or maybe there's cuts on their arm. Oh, like, if, he, if the victim were strangled, he feels like he's being strangled? Yeah, so he's having trouble breathing. Or maybe sometimes he, like, coughs up water and it's like, oh, the victim was drowned or near a drowning or whatever. So there's different ways where he, he not only gets these clues, but he, he, he is drawn closer to the killer. Um, and, and the killer is always a demon. And and he's he's got to do this balancing act where he he I'll get into it later, but he, he basically has to find the person, but he's not responsible for actually fighting the person. So then again, I actually have a, a Michael Clayton type scene, too. Oh, I have nice. A, I have a Dennis O'Hare type scene where Michael Clayton, our cob guy, is called out 
on an important mission for a it's super just lawyers. Yeah, it's for a super rich client, and the client's like, "You have to find out who killed my daughter or something." But this is where Cobb starts to go through all the rules, right? He's like, "No, it has to be within seventy-two hours of the killing," and they're like, "You know," he's like, "That's why they say the first seventy-two hours are the most important." And you know, he can be like, "You know, it was." People think it's because of this, but it's really because of the soul. Um, and he's like, and I need to have a hangman around. So it turns out when you possess the body of someone else or when you have someone else possess the body of you, in order to kill the possession, you need to have like a special hanging. Like he basically needs to be oh. strangled with a special rope, right? Because it's the rope of St. Peter or whatever. That's kinky. Yeah. <laughs> so then... Uh, the the Cobb guy is called into a super shady type organization, and the liaison is there, and he's like, "Hey, sorry, I had to trick you." And the organization is like, "We're with the Vatican," but it's like, "Yeah, the Vatican." Wink, wink. Sure. And so they have to have Cobb find this very specific demon, and so Azazel, Azazel ish, and so. Once he he captures the the once he finds the demon, the hangman comes in and and captures Cobb, and so the demon is is t- or the possessed person is taken out of Cobb, and so then Cobb witnesses this other special ops person come in and fight the demon, and they secure the demon instead of killing him because if they kill him, he can just floaty transfer his way or be be revived through chance or whatever. So then we have this little bit of dialogue where they're like, what happens to the soul of the person that you took out of me? And they're like, well, the soul basically goes into the demon's soul. The demon owns ownership of the soul. So if we kill the demon, the demon goes to hell. All the innocent people the demon killed will go to hell. So instead they put the... Oh no, they what put a the cost. killer. Yeah, they put the killer into this special prison type area where he can't be revived. And of course it's got all these spells and symbols mm, so and So he's, he's got the Sleeping Beauty cheat run. Or he's just in a cell like Magneto that negates oh, his Oh powers. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that way we can have some Hannibal type back and forthing. Um, oh, they can play chess. Right. And so then we get this scene where the organization keeps using Cobb for more and more dangerous situations. Oh, and it's got to take a toll on him. It's taking a toll. So we've got these scenes in between where he's talking to his liaison and they make references to his past and maybe he had something bad happen in his past, right? But like they're in one specific place. It's all going down (laughs) like it did before, isn't it, Cobb? So they have one place where they're in a sauna um and that's Ooh, like his, eastern promises yeah that's like his his in a video game when you have these certain save spots like that's his save hub uh he also okay. gets into fights with the hangman where he's like their trust gets tested and he also gets called into the bureaucracy element of the organization where he's like hey listen i want to escape or whatever so he actually does escape this is halfway into the movie now we're nice. gonna cram pack this super fast style he quits X years number of laters or whatever. There's taunting. Uh, the killer is now back. He somehow escaped from the prison. No. And so the organization needs Cobb to resume his possessed, his willing possession. He's got to go duties. back. He's got to go back. They keep pulling him back in. 
but now this is where Cobb starts to kind of break some of the rules that he's set up for himself. Like you, it's, it's like um, the conjuring. Remember where it's like, you can't be possessed because you've already had nine possessions. And on the 10th one, it's extra dangerous. Um, and so the, we just get into this big old fight scene where like all of a sudden the organization betrays the guy Cobb and the liaison, oh, the liaison gets killed by the ax man. Who's like the guy who, who the ax man is the special ops person who captures the, um, the, the, the demonic villains. So then Cobb has to do something which he swore he would never do or never do again, which is he lets the, 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 the captured soul inside him take over completely. So it's kind of like a Hulk transformation. It's like, you know, he all of a sudden gets demonic horns and blue fire and his eyes are glowing. And so then now the, the, the victim of the demon is in full possession of Cobb. So they fight each other and the hangman has to not kill demon Cobb, but has to kind of keep him under control. Cause the only way to save Cobb is to save him using the special demon lasso of St. Peter's or whatever. But then the, 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 the killed victim in demon form rips into the, the heart of the demon and eats it. And just Kano wins. Kano wins. And just then a magic light shines down and the Archangel Michael shows up. Oh, you had a heavenly emissary come into your remix too? Yep. And the Archangel Demon or Archangel Michael says, Hey, because you ate the soul of the person who killed you, and because of whatever, you achieved the God's blessing and you're no longer corrupted by Satan. So we're all going to allow you and all the other victims into heaven. And also little, little bonus Who knew eating the demon's heart that killed you could have such a reward. Who knew? Maybe we'll set it up with a riddle earlier, or maybe it's just a metal thing where they do it out of instinct. And then it's like, Oh, by the way, because you ate the heart, but as a little bonus gets, guess who accompanies the archangel Michael as he delivers the good news. Jesus. In the background, we can have Archangel Triton as played by John Michael Thor of Rock and Roll Nightmare. Oh, that's right. I forgot that he was an angel. He was an archangel who fought demons. So we get a little cameo. Um, and then uh, Cobb is finally allowed to retire. He's He goes and he finally gets his moment of peace where he no longer has to do possessions. He no longer has an organization out for him. He just plays jazz guitar. Just plays jazz guitar. We cut to credits. We do the open. We do the the initial type credits, which is, you know, starring so-and-so, directed by so-and-so. And, -so. and mm -hmm. then, boom, we get a mid-credits scene where the guy is all alone or something, and then someone comes up to him and says, I need you for a job. And he's like, I'm retired. And he's like, no, you don't understand. Azazel, or, you know, something. Maybe not Azazel, because I don't like it when they do that all the time. But, like, maybe they're like, it's Lucifer himself. And then we cut to the guy who's recruiting Cobb, and it's my Muppet buddy Keanu Reeves as John Constantine. Oh, Lupin with John Constantine. He's, so your now Nick, we have, he's your Nick Fury. Yeah, John Constantine is my Justice League dark only with all original characters and not 
established DC characters. So yeah, just the idea that like a character is willingly allowing a soul of a victim to possess himself. And then we have procedural type detective figuring out a greater mystery. I think all of that is kind of like the characters already established in the demon world. There's a greater mystery at play. There's an established rule set. All of that is the stuff that I wanted from Fallen. <laughs> but yeah, I really liked this. Uh, basically, I just wanted to do a Constantine type movie, which I love. And you did it. And yeah. you did it. I I liked how it turned out. I think I think that it sounds like a lot of fun. And I, I just, I like the idea of a detective that experiences the death of his victims. Yeah. And how messed up that would make you feel. Right. Yeah, it's definitely got that, like, not only is it the Michael Mann heat, you know, um, um, El Pacino kind of like, it takes the, the, violence and gruesomeness that he witnesses takes a toll on his relationships and stuff. But yeah, it's like, it's actually taking a toll on your body and you're experiencing it from within. That's a really cool horror idea that you could, you could probably do a couple different types of movies using that. Yeah. Idea. You can get a lot of mileage out of something like that. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that does it for today. Before we get into our love bites, our recommendations for you for this week, want to just remind you that we are on social media where if you have social media, which you probably do, unless you have a real life where you live in the forest and cut trees and smell the air and it doesn't smell like the city or pollution yeah, but, but is it really but a life worth living if you're not telling other people about it right but anyways you have the means motive and opportunity to follow us on social as well as like subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts and then if you ever want to talk to us you can email us at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com now then on to love bites. What do we got for the week, Brett? Well, I am going to recommend a place. And that place is the little magical town of Astoria, Oregon. Um, this is where Sonia and I just went for vacation. And if you fly into Portland, you basically take the trees to the sea route. It's only like two hours to get from one end of Portland or one end of Oregon to the other. And then you can settle down and take some time to enjoy Astoria, which is a quiet, tiny little seaside town. And it's absolutely beautiful. Oh, and did I not mention yet that it's also the filming location of Short Circuit and Kindergarten Cop? So you get Short Circuit and Kindergarten Cop. Those are two great movies. Is Johnny Five still in Astoria? They should have a statue, just like Detroit has a statue of RoboCop. Uh, the only thing is, though, that Astoria is also the filming location of The Goonies. However, oh. uh, however, hot take, Goonies. Meh. I'm not a big Goonies fan. 
I'm, I'm short disappointed, but short I'm not circuit, gonna get into it. Short Circuit is an infinitely better movie than The Goonies, and I will stand by that. Uh, Oregon Astoria will sell you on the fact that Goonies shot there. It is all Goonies. You think they're underselling the Short Circuit connection? They have a little pamphlet of the locations, and in the description of Short Circuit, it's like, did you even watch the movie? <laughs> um i'm sorry but that's okay sony and i went there we saw a bunch of different movie locations we went we we took a nice little drive down the coast but astoria it's just a great town it's super chill out there the drive is nice the towns are nice the people are nice we got to sit in a hotel room and watch short circuit and kindergarten cop in the town they were filmed in and those are both movies that i wholeheartedly love um, and I turn into I turn into like a kid again when I watch them. It's a, it's physically and emotionally exhausting for me to watch those movies because I just want to participate with them so much. I love Johnny Five. I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. I I just I love those movies. So Astoria, Oregon. Whether or not you like those movies or you like The Goonies, I won't judge you. Uh, Astoria, great place. And Oregon has great craft beer. So if that's something you're into, it's a fun place to visit for that reason as well. Great beer, great wine. That's true too. Yeah, there's a a, a lot of sort of brewery tour type options where you can have a lot of fun. Yeah. So how about your love bite? So I was trying to think of possession movies that I enjoy Uh, that aren't necessarily horror movies. And I mentioned being John Malkovich in our previous episode. And I've made references to being John Malkovich in the past. And if you haven't seen this movie, it's really worth seeing. It's got uh, one of the, the side characters in it is played by none other than friend of the podcast, Cameron Diaz. She does oh, a little yeah. bit of a make under in the movie. They give her a frizzy wig. And um, I, I forget, like, I think is she like a behavioral scientist, but she has a, a chimpanzee that she keeps. Oh, right. uh, and uh, the plot of the movie is, what if there was a little door that you could go into and it allowed you to see through the perspective of actor John Malkovich uh, for a limited amount of time? And it's actually when they say being John Malkovich, they mean the actual John Malkovich. So there, right. there's a lot of humor around John Malkovich playing himself in a movie called being John Malkovich, which really isn't actually about the lived experience of John Malkovich at all, but a fantasy premise of what it would be like if he had a vessel inside of him uh, that you could live through. Uh, So it's a very wacky premise. It's not a romantic comedy. It's kind of a dark movie, but it's also a very funny movie too. I mean, I, I think that's just what you would expect from this director. But yeah, if you have not seen Being John Malkovich, catch it. It's, it's a, been a while. It's a wacky him. movie, but it's very well made. Yeah, it's been a while, so I I do have to go back and rewatch it because 
Yeah. Malkovich. Malkovich. (laughs) (laughs) How would Big Daddy John Malkovich sign us off? Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.